The job market is sizzling hot, and everyone is still understaffed. So why are you suddenly hearing about layoffs? Plus, I'll give you a three-word script that earns the respect of your employees every time you use it. Let's get into what's happening now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. The show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Now here's your host, speaker, and author, Joe Mall. Hello again, friends, and welcome to your weekly dose of advice, humor, and encouragement for bosses everywhere. I hope your week is getting off to a solid start, and I thank you for spending part of it with us. We are here each week to help you create the conditions at work that lead people to thrive. I've been teaching leaders how to be better bosses for almost 20 years, and as far as I'm concerned, that's the job. A great boss goes to work every day and says, I am going to figure out what these people need to be at their best, and then I'm going to fight like crazy to give it to them. So that's what we talk about here each week when we gather on our podcast. And each week, I am joined by my wise and engaging co-host, executive coach, HR advisor, and professional cave diver, Suzanne. Malowski. Hello, Suzanne. Well, hello, Joe. Did I ever tell you about that awesome treasure I found in a cave in Hawaii? You did not. That's because it never happened. I've never <laughs> dived in a cave or got a treasure, but wouldn't that be wonderful to think about? Have you ever done anything <laughs> like cave diving or did I just completely make that up? You completely made that up. I, I can't think a little bit of snorkeling and, you know, in Mexico. Mm-hmm little bit of the, <clears throat> okay, when did we learn the lesson about stalactites and stalagmites? Right. Is that yeah. two words, the uh -huh. ones that go down and up? I think there's some caves here in Pennsylvania I remember yes. touring and, you know, like a, you know, what's that called? A school trip where we packed a field our peanut trip. butter and jelly. Yeah. A field trip with that's our what we peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I think that's as close as I've ever gotten. Okay. How about we you? We did um, the close. Well, the closest I've ever come to cave diving. I guess technically it was cave diving. Um, oh. Was about a year ago. We went to Mexico, and my we, my wife and I, and we did. Uh, we visited cenotes, which are these mm -hmm. uh, caves that are underground, like they're underground um, rivers and lakes, and I'm um, okay. absolutely butchering the definition. But it was really one of the favorite <laughs> things we've ever done, because it's just beautiful, and, and cenotes are only in certain parts of the world, and okay. um, really just a, an amazing experience if you ever get to do it. Like, you, you get the awesome. snorkeling gear on, and you swim down under these caves, and it's really something else. Nice. Sounds like a blast. Well, let me make the not at all strange transition to talking <laughs> about vacationing in cenotes and talking about layoffs. Yep, that's a real smooth transition that we're making right there. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, I have the transition. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. Speaking of travel, last week I spoke at a travel conference and I got this question. Okay, that was pro-level transition, right, Suzanne? Oh, very good. Bravo. I actually Bravo. regret that I, I did not just plan it that way and that it didn't just come out smoothly. Uh, I'm tempted to go back and edit and do it for real, but that would be inauthentic. So we're just going to keep rolling. Okay, let's go with it. <laughs> but that is true. I was at a, uh, a travel conference uh, just recently in beautiful San Francisco. I got to speak to uh, a whole 
industry of travel advisors. And these are specifically folks who book a lot of luxury travel. And I was there talking about employalty and all the conditions that we need to create at work to get people to, to join and stay and care and try. And I got a couple of questions about layoffs, right? People saying, hey, you know, you're talking about how sizzling hot the job market is, and it seems like uh, everybody's still understaffed, but all of a sudden I'm hearing about, hearing about layoffs. And so I got a lot of questions. Is this something that we should be worried about or what's really happening out there? And so before I share my take, let me kick it to you, Suzanne, because I know mm-hmm. you have clients in all sorts of different industries. You have a manufacturing background, a healthcare background. Uh, are you hearing concerns about this from the people in your world? Are people noticing this? Um, certainly, they're noticing what media is feeding us with the, the right. large industries and the big impact. And, you know, those are some really big numbers, Joe, so they can be disconcerting. What I'm seeing with my clients is more of a maybe there's an adjustment here or there, which is the normal course of business. Sometimes yeah. you do have to make changes because of contracts or budgets or things that are out of control. But that's also the I would say it's it's very much in the normal ebb of flow of normal business, the hiring yes. And the adjustments. I, I have a quirky transition, if I can digress for just a minute. You know, if okay. you get laid off and got a really good severance package, you should travel. Uh, it's like you came right back around full I circle. I did. I did. Well yep. done. You're a oh, pro. You go. Total pro. Just trying to help. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, Suzanne, and I'm going to tell everybody listening uh, what I told the folks in San Francisco at this conference when this question came up. And this is one of those moments where... I'm just glad I had done my homework. Like when the jobs reports keep coming out each month and they tell us what happened in the month before, I found myself paying more attention to that than ever before because so much of what I'm talking about out in the world right now is tied to what's happening in the jobs economy, right? There's so many conversations taking place around – the degree to which people are able to fill positions. And and is this really an issue of work ethic or is this an issue of not enough people? And so – let me let me kind of answer this in the way that I did when I was with those folks in California. Um, you hit the nail on the head, Suzanne, which is that fear makes us click and read and watch. And so we're seeing a lot of hype-filled coverage whenever you see any layoffs taking place. But all the layoffs that people have heard about in recent weeks have been limited to tech, media, and e-commerce companies. And it's really been limited to the big players, right? We've seen Amazon, we've seen Microsoft, we've seen um, Google and uh, Meta, who is the the parent company of Facebook, have announced layoffs. Um, They weren't massive numbers, but they were exclusively in these big tech spaces. Um, Outside of that, Everybody is still hiring. So I'm going to hit you with some data, okay? Because as I said, I've been paying attention to the job reports, and uh, I am not an economist, and uh, I am not a financial advisor or planner, uh, but from a lay person, I I can pay attention to what's going on out there, and here's what I can tell you. We have had 24 months of unprecedented job growth in the United States. Um, We have been adding, on average, about a quarter of a million jobs to the economy every month to the millions of unfilled jobs that are out there right now, fluctuating at any time between six and eight million unfilled jobs in the United States. We are adding a quarter of a million jobs to the economy every month on top of that. That is 8,000 jobs a day 
added to the economy. That means there will be about 340 jobs added to the economy in the time that people listen to this episode of our podcast. I figured out that there will be three jobs added to the economy in the time that it takes me to complete this sentence. So there are... There is so much growth happening in the market. We just finished the second best year of job growth in the history of the United States. And this is after two years of warnings that a recession is coming. This is after a year of backbreaking inflation. This is a, a, after a year of us being warned that, hey, the job market can't stay this hot for that long. But it has. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that there are just not enough people to fill all the jobs out there. Right now, there are still 1.7 jobs for every person in the workplace. So nearly two jobs for every person. We also know that unemployment is below 4% right now. And I, I said this on the podcast before. There are only a handful of months in the last 50 years when it's been lower than it is right now. I saw a uh, number the other day. That said, if every single unemployed person in the United States got a job tomorrow, there would still be 4 million unfilled jobs here in Crazy. the U.S. And so all of that to say the layoffs thing is not a trend unless you work in these really big ponds in these tech companies. Is that the experience that you've been seeing as well? You alluded to that a little bit. I, yes, Joe. And I, I thank you for doing that homework. I think that's a great lesson for all of us, because if you just read the headlines or you're just, you know, riding the, the surface of the wave of yes. media is feeding us, then you, you you can get scared and get overwhelmed and, and then misinformed, honestly. So, yeah, I, I'm seeing healthy budgets. I see a mm -hmm. little conservative bent to what people are willing yeah. to do and spend for growth. I think it's it's careful, it's measured, but it's it's healthy. There's great optimism out there. And that there's a responsibility for companies to not uh, over payroll themselves, right? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, some of the research tells us that some of these companies, um, I think, saved jobs, maybe kept people employed for a long time, uh, kept things a little bit robust, and had to adjust at some point. Um, whatever else that might be saying about their industry or their marketplace is probably unique by the companies themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think in some of those industries, they were very generous and um, what's the word I want to say here? Just um, open to keeping people employed longer. And then there yeah. was an adjustment that was bound to come at some point. You you alluded to this earlier, and you've just kind of hit the nail on the head there. We know that some of these really big organizations overhired in 2021, mm -hmm. right? That we were coming back from the pandemic so quickly that these big organizations were just snapping up talent really quick to respond to demand. And so what's mm -hmm. happening now in some of these bigger organizations and in these tech and media and e-commerce spaces, it's just a correction. It's a correction mm -hmm. for some overhiring that was done um, and – like I said, we're not seeing it in any other place. I think what the bigger lesson is, though, is you're going to see these little ebbs and flows over small windows of time. But when you step back and look at the big picture, i.e. the years leading up to and since the pandemic, we are living in the middle of an era where people are more 
quickly and willingly switching jobs in pursuit of an mm-hmm. upgrade, right? We see that clearly mm-hmm. in the hiring data. We see that clearly in the jobs data. Uh, we just got the jobs data in from the end of 2021. We know that more than 50 million people voluntarily changed jobs, but there were more than 75 million new hires in 2022. And so I think I said 2021 earlier. I meant 2022. They all run together. Okay, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Um, But we are still seeing all of this trend towards people saying, the role that I want my job to play in my life has to change. I'm not willing to be overworked. I'm not willing to be underpaid. I'm not willing to do work that's unfulfilling. I'm not willing to miss the important lives or moments in my kids' lives. And so uh, when you look at those quarter of a million jobs that are being added to the economy every month, the next question is, how many of them are great jobs? How many of them Mm -hmm. are jobs that pay a living wage and that prioritize quality of life for people who employ them? Because if you are a leader or a business owner and you're able to create those kinds of jobs, you're going to have a line out the door because you're providing what people are looking for at a time where there's this massive recalibration taking place around how work fits into our lives. And so- What people have heard of as the Great Resignation, it's not an event. It's an era. It's been going on for more Mm -hmm. than a decade, and it's expected to continue. We're seeing that in the numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's a consumer um, issue. Thinking, If we think of our employees, our future employees, as almost our customers, Mm. we have to differentiate ourselves, just like we do our products or our service. We have to be the company that is attractive because that's the only way we're going to be competitive. And it isn't, you know, we, we've had different discussions about salaries and compensation mm-hmm. and you've got to be competitive there. But I did see an article this morning um, from Forbes that's saying, uh-oh, some of these people in the large companies might not be able to see their matched salaries if they're yeah. going to smaller startups right. or people, right? So think about that adjustment. Think about the total rewards, the work-life balance, the flexibility, the other benefits other than salary. Um, yeah. Make sure you're, you know, you said big picture. Make sure you're looking at life from that big picture too, the totality of the things that a new employer can offer you. And as a yeah. boss, that you're doing everything you can to offer um, what's going to attract the right talent. It's such a great point. And, and a, a conversation I was having at this travel conference with another speaker who was there, who really is in the tech world, she said the biggest issue is going to be that some of these folks who are getting laid off from these tech giants really prioritize working for tech giants. And so for them, Mm -hmm. they may have a little bit of a harder time. But for people who do what they do, if they're willing to swim in a smaller pond, they could still potentially do the same kind of work at or around the same kind of pay. It's just that for some folks, there's this kind of status, I think, that comes Mm -hmm. with working for one of those big name organizations. And for people who work in those industries, having the next job on your resume be a company that nobody has ever heard of might work against them, at least in their own perception Mentally, of what they're sure. going for. Right, right. But Even outside of that- it could that, be the next big giant that they That's get. right, that right, yeah. <laughs> they could be joining, you know, Lyft before anybody ever heard of Lyft. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. But the opportunities are out there. Even if you work for a tech giant and you do get laid off, you know, you will at least be able to make a lateral move, if not a forward move, to another organization mm-hmm. if you're willing to step outside of those big spaces. And I think the last thing that I want to mention, just to folks who are listening to this, because some people do hear about the news coverage about layoffs in the economy, and they get nervous, they get anxious about it. And mm-hmm. so my advice to you is just to simply look around. Look around where you're working. Is your organization still struggling to fill positions? Are they hiring 
Are they communicating to you and the other members of your teams like, hey, please refer people into our organization? That, those are signs and signals that you're probably not at risk. Are, are you getting high performance reviews? Are you getting, uh, are your supervisors communicating your value back to you? If all those things are happening, then you can be like Elsa and let it go because this, this trend of the quote unquote trend of layoffs probably isn't going to be anywhere near your, your orbit. All right, friends. Well, we'd love to hear what you think. Are you seeing something differently out there than what Suzanne and I just commented on? We welcome your feedback, your insights, and your experiences. All you have to do to email the show is fire up your email and send us a message at bossbetternow at gmail.com. That's bossbetternow at gmail.com. All right, my friend, that brings us to... The camaraderie question of the week. We know that bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why every week here on the show, we give you, Boss Heroes, a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. This week's question is this. Name someone in your life who makes you feel confident every time you interact with them. I like this question. All right. I gave you this ahead of time. I like it too. Yes, you did. This is a so chance to what? shout out someone special. I I will. You know, and I, I had trouble picking just one. Okay. There's my friend Kim and my friend Kathy and I think certain times my mom and my kids Abby and Drew and my husband Mike. There, I'm throwing out names. I see what you did there. But you see what I did there? The person that actually called me this very morning is the one I will give the special shout out to, and that's Trisha Earls. Uh-huh. And Trisha and I were colleagues at a business years and years ago. Okay. And then she hired me as a consultant, then hired me as a full-time employee. And now we're back to being colleagues again. But <laughs> no matter what, you know, she is quick to articulate what she appreciates in me. Mm. She's quick to kind of shore me up if I'm having a moment of doubt or quick to be a cheerleader. And, you know, Joe, I think it's important for all of us to make sure that we're surrounding us with people that can help us feel confident, you know, and, and editing if we need to the time we spend with those who who maybe don't, Yes, you know, and, and, and that we're someone that people, we help, we're giving it back the other way too. Yeah, right. absolutely. And this this question's fun to use in a team environment because you may end up creating a place where people are able to shout each other out a little bit and kind of say, hey, every time I work with you, yeah. you know, or every time I, I come into your office and I plop down in your chair and I'm just exasperated, um, you always just help me think differently about things and, and that lifts me up, right? So there's a real chance for some, some team build, building and some true camaraderie building here around this question. Mm-hmm. That's why I like this one. And I want to add you to that list as well, of course, Joe. Oh, my goodness. Just by inviting me here time after time, it does boost my confidence. So thank you. I'm going to go back and edit this so that my name comes first, so that you can say, well, Joe, you are the person I should name. And then that'll make me feel even better. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, awesome. I have uh, someone in my life who makes me feel confident every time I interact with them. And uh, like you, I could rattle off a whole bunch of names. I am very lucky to have a wonderful network of people who lift me up when I need it. Uh, But there is one person who every time I talk to her, um, 
you know, have somebody in your life who believes in you uh, as much as my colleague Jamie believes in me. Jamie is our producer, and um, that's one of the like two dozen hats that she wears for me in my company. And uh, I have known Jamie a long, long time. I knew her a long time before I ever hired her to come work here, and. I think that's one of the reasons it works really well, because um, we have a, a, a long relationship. It's almost like a brother-sister relationship at this point, and um, a deep caring for each other. But she believes in me, in, and she knows my character, and she knows my my qualities and traits and characteristics and all of my flaws. And whenever I'm having a day where I'm kind of feeling unsure of myself, or maybe I didn't think something went well— if I go talk to her about it, she's always like, "Look, man, this is how it really is," and every and then she says very nice things about, um, you know, what worked <laughs> or what I need to remember. And so, uh, shout out to Jamie; she's the person who makes me feel confident every time. Yay, I Jamie! With her. Nice. And that's the camaraderie question of the week. All right, folks, before we get to our boss script this week, just a reminder that if you're planning a conference or a meeting or an event in 2023 and you are looking for uh, a really dynamic, engaging program to open or close your event, then I know a speaker who would love to work with you. Hey, it's me. If you're interested in having someone come to your meeting or event to talk about what it takes these days to find and keep devoted employees, to talk about how to supercharge commitment in the workplace, to talk about out what employees need to experience to overcome all of the burnout and exhaustion and frustration that has bloomed over the past couple of years, uh, then I have what you're looking for. If you would like more information about bringing me in to speak, uh, to do a keynote at one of your meetings or events, just send an email to hello at joemall.com, uh, and we will give you a call, and we will learn more about your event, and we will be able to give you a custom program and quote and everything that you would need to decide whether I am the right fit for that. So one more time, that email is just hello, H-E-L-L-O, at joemall.com. And so now, a boss script. We haven't done one of these in a while. When I was going no. back and prepping some episodes, I was like, well, we haven't done a boss script in a while, so let's go. We do. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, our boss script this week is... That's my fault. That's my fault is a three-word turn of phrase that I promise you every single time you use it, it's going to up the trust factor and the respect factor and the loyalty factor for the people who work for you. And so this is really rooted in a very simple philosophy. And if you've read one leadership book or a hundred leadership books, you have heard this premise more than once, I'm sure, and that is that the best leaders give credit to others for success, and they take blame themselves for failure. And so the idea of saying, that's my fault, is a boss script that you can use anytime someone sits across from you and acknowledges a mistake or that something didn't go well. And I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. I want you to try using this even if it's totally not your fault. Because when you absorb ownership for things that don't go right, people notice that. And that actually motivates them to not put you in that position again the next time. So for example, uh, we have a new hire at, on my team named Frank. He's been with us for just over two months. He's doing a great job. And in a one-on-one -on -one meeting that we had the other day, he remarked that he was really struggling 
to um, make sense of our project management software. And so he hadn't been using it as much. And I said, oh, that's my fault. I, I didn't really take the time to give you a deeper training into how we use that. I just kind of threw it at you. So I'm really sorry about that. And uh, about a week ago, we were refreshing one of the pages on our website. We were redesigning it. And the person who was driving that project presented the redesign to me, and I didn't love it. And I kind of had to say, hey, this isn't really the direction that I wanted to go. And she apologized. And I said, no, 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 that's my fault, because I wasn't clear on what I wanted, and I wasn't able to communicate it to you. And so when we give voice to this right away, when someone makes a mistake, and we say, well, here's why that's my fault, we are helping them save face, we're removing the burden of that stress from them, and we're supercharging their desire to prevent us from being in that situation again. Have you used language like this, Suzanne? What is the value in it? Or are there times when we shouldn't use it? Hey, I threw three questions at you at once, sorry. You did, so yes, I've done it. You know, might come across in the words like, my bad. Yeah. Or I should have, or mm -hmm. I could have, something like that. So I think it does have value. I like it because it it almost forces you to think through truly what you could have done differently. Yeah. So many times we respond quickly to solve the issue, mm -hmm. fix the problem, or giving them feedback of what they could have done differently. But to think through that's my fault lens really makes your brain think through, oh my gosh, I should have been more clear in my expectations, or I should yeah. have given them more opportunity to talk through the process or giving them training, whatever it was. So I really like it. Is there a time it shouldn't be used? Yes. I think if it feels like a fly-by-night, mm -hmm. um, insincere sound bite, right? Oh, that's yes. my fault. And you roll your eyes, you know, something that it's not, you know, going to come across as from your heart or that you really believe it is not worth saying. Yes. I completely agree with that. If you overuse it, it becomes um, inauthentic mm -hmm. in the moment. I think the other mm -hmm. time when we, we shouldn't use it is if you have somebody who struggles to take ownership for their mistakes or somebody who makes a mm -hmm. lot of excuses, right? Well, this didn't go well and it's this other team's fault or you didn't give me the right deadline. You know, we feed into that when we absorb responsibility for something that maybe really was their fault or where you really do need them to step up in a different way. So in those kind of circumstances, I'd probably keep this in my my metaphorical pocket. Um, but when, <laughs> right. when someone's sitting across from me and um, very quickly gives voice to owning a mistake, if there's an opportunity for me to relieve that burden a little bit and say, yeah, you know, that's my fault too, because I could have blah, 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 it ups the respect and trust factor. It sure does. And I think at times, back to our camaraderie question of the week, you're not undermining their confidence. Yeah. Right? If you if you pull back, you give them grace, you help them figure out a way forward, then they're more likely to keep building on um, their confidence or their competency or that skill or whatever it might be. So I think that yeah. works too. I use a lot of uh, sports analogies and sports metaphors because I actually think sports can teach us a lot about leadership. And so the analogy here is when you see the coach come up to the podium for the press conference after the game where the team lost and he or she looks into the camera and says, you know, I take ownership for this loss because I didn't 
make the proper adjustments at halftime or I didn't coach the team well around, you know, the adjustments that the other team made. They don't throw the, their their players under the bus and say, oh, well, if our quarterback hadn't thrown that interception or, oh, if our, uh, you know, our power forwards lifted some more weights in the offseason and they were a little stronger mm -hmm. for such a physical game, they don't do that. They own it. They say, hey, we didn't perform at the level that we expect and I, that's on me as the leader. And um, mm -hmm. as cliche as that can sound sometimes, that has power it has, and it has tremendous influence and followers notice that. Um, the other side of this too, and the times when I actually think this is even harder to do, the, the that's my fault boss script, is when we have to say that's my fault to our superiors, right? Mm -hmm. if, our, if our team doesn't perform something well, or we haven't completed a project, or we've been falling short, or there's maybe a, a service-related disaster, to stand in front of my boss, and even though maybe I didn't have direct contact with the customer that experienced the service disaster, to look at my boss and say, well, that's my fault. That's my fault for not staying on top of the kind of culture and responsiveness and training that we need to make sure that that service disaster doesn't happen. But I'm on it, and we're going to work to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, even if your followers aren't in the room and they never hear you take ownership like that to your superiors, it still matters because it's mm -hmm. part of the hardwiring that leaders are required to have around ownership and accountability. I love it, Joe. And I, one more thing that came to mind as you were saying that is, you know, use the behaviors you want other people, model the behaviors you want to see in others. Yes. That's what I'm trying to say. So if you're modeling that and you take responsibility, that's my fault in a meeting, they're going to feel like it's okay for them to do that. Or they're going to learn that accountability is around the table or around the team circle or whatever. Um, and they're going to learn to be able to say it too, either to the team or to their subordinates or they're just going to pay it forward. I Absolutely. Believe. So I feel like that's our homework for our boss heroes. If you don't uh, regularly engage in uh, scripting like this or this kind of ownership of other people's mistakes, I want you to try it this week. When you hear somebody acknowledge that they didn't do something right or well, I want you to immediately say, well, that's my fault, actually, because I could have blah, blah, blah. And when you do it, I want you to notice their face. You're going to see them go, wait, hold on, that doesn't compute. For some people, they're going to say, hold on, like that doesn't compute because I made the mistake. And there, there will be kind of a begrudging respect maybe there in that moment. Um, and keep trying it and keep seeing the reaction that you get. Um, I think it's going to positively impact the relationships that you have and your ability to lead people more effectively. And that's the boss script. <laughs> All right, friends, that's our show. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you would leave us a review, especially if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll down to the bottom of our show, click the little five stars, click write a review, and throw a couple sentences in there about what you like about our show or this episode in particular. Believe it or not, reviews are really important to helping other people who are looking for a podcast on leading people or culture or engagement or management. It's really important that reviews get, get updated regularly because it helps people find our show. So if you could take a minute, write us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. It means a lot, and it helps us continue fulfilling our mission to fill workplaces with better bosses. Thanks for listening, and thanks for all that you do out there to take care of so many.
This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.